figure out like a glow up um, picture for you. It's like a different, a different kind of, <laughs> different kind of noodles and spaghetti. So, yeah. do you have do you have a publicly disclosable history behind why you decided on pasta and why you decided on that picture of pasta? Um, this picture, I don't think so. Um, when I back back in the day, back when I was real young, mm -hmm. uh, um, I left, um, and you know, a lot of there there really aren't many open Minecraft names, so mm -hmm. I had to think of really hard, um, and pasta ended up being part of that name, and so that I just ended up kind of sticking with it. And then when I came into uh, Dash, you know, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't as much of a requirement, you know, like usernames were much more available in the Slack back in the day when I joined it. Yeah. Um, and so instead of needing pasta, whatever, 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 and something really unique that I had for back in the day for Minecraft, I was able to just shorten it down to pasta. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where the name came from. I originally decided it back on the in the Minecraft days since that was one of my favorite foods. Yeah, um, nothing wrong with the good old bowl pasta. Exactly, and it just kind of stuck. So it is. It is as it is. Wow, we have nine people watching already. Hey everyone, that was the pasta origin story. Glad you tuned in for it. See you guys next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna play the intro and we'll get going. <laughs>
and how the proof of service of layer two of platform specifically will interact with the proof of service of, you know, layer one of core. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so there's, there's a lot of um, specification going on right there and figuring out how we want that to work as well as some other nitty gritty kind of more behind the scenes crypto based um, changes that we needed for a platform to work. Um, and I think actually we're going to be creating a dip on that soon. Um, in fact, the dip might be public and up for review. I want to look and see, make sure I'm not lying to you guys. Hmm. Um, so yes, it's dip 21. It's LLMQ uh, DKG data sharing. Okay. And it gets kind of nitty gritty. It isn't too interesting, but it, it is, it is necessary for, um, for a platform to be able to do what it needs to do. Um, it's necessary for the validator rotation set, um, for, for the validator rotation, mm -hmm. validator set rotation in platform to work, um, and able to do that. You need to be able to get the public key shares of the quorum that you're like passing control onto. Um, and so, you know, like, like I said, not super interesting, but very important so that platform actually is able to do validator set rotation. Um, and then, uh, Eugene has also been, we've also been, uh, looking into specifically Eugene has been looking into a modification to how chain locks works right now hmm. to make it even more secure. Um, and right now, um, right now, right, there's, there are 24, hmm, there might be 12. I think there are 12 active quorums for chain locks. Okay. And for any given height, one of them gets selected basically randomly based on, mm -hmm. on, on the height though. Um, and so at any given block height, only one quorum is responsible for the chain lock. Um, but in really, really edge case scenarios, if you are assuming the uh, mass node network is highly compromised, there could be problems with that if say, um, if one quorum signs a block at um, height n, and then another quorum signs a conflicting block at height n plus one, it really requires um, it, it requires I mean, malicious you know, control of quorums, um, which like, is incredibly incredibly it, unlikely. But we're looking into ways to really kind of change the CL sig message to require a signature from the majority of chain locks master node of chain lock quorums. So again, something, you know, kind of nitty gritty, not super interesting. Like chain locks is still incredibly secure. It's just like increasing that security level even further. If you assume a crap ton of master nodes are being held maliciously, which is a pretty difficult assumption to get to in the first place. Yeah. Um, but it is pretty fascinating to think about how quickly those assumptions of security can quickly change. Right. So mm -hmm. for example, um, if you'd consider proof of work and several mining pools come under, you know, single control based on geographic uh, area or something, all of a sudden you're like, oh, we have such a strong hash rate can just not matter nearly as much. And of course, with exchanges and entities like that starting to have more and more coins there, especially because some things like Binance offer staking, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, there could be a bunch of masternodes owned by a potentially hostile act or controlled by who want to 
you know, prove a point when Dash gets too uppity and, you know, about like, oh, more secure than Bitcoin or some nonsense. It's like, who knows? So it definitely it's the kind of thing you need to be looking out for. So I'm very grateful that that's being worked on. Yeah, it is. It is uh, very interesting. Um... Yeah, for sure. It's a... Um... And of course, like one of those fascinating things to look at is the way different layers of network kind of interact with each other. And everyone is talking about, first off, for the for a while, everyone's talking about like what's going on in Dash. And then evolution was this like super secret, whatever. And then, oh, platform's out. And then it's going to be a separate thing for plenty of reasons, not the main dash network but of course it has to it has to be interoperable with the regular dash network in order to actually work and it's always <laughs> i can imagine that that could be an incredibly difficult task to get just just right and so yeah, yeah. that's where the rest of this stuff comes in yeah it really is because you have to you you have to consider so many implications for any given feature you have to consider what the privacy implications are. You have to mm -hmm. consider what the scalability implications are. You have to consider the security implications. There's so much going on. And and then when you get into, you know, layer to layer, you have to consider all of those factors on both layers and then look at it as a system altogether. And it definitely is. Um, th th there's a lot there in network architecture design. Yes. So I'd like to remind everyone once again, we are streaming on Odyssey, which is the library-based network as well. So if you get tired of YouTube, you go in the description, there's a link to the library live stream where you can watch. And also there's a live chat there too. I'm watching it all. And if you have questions for pasta, throw them in either of those live chats. And if I'm ignoring them too much, or if you just want to go right there, go to cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a little donation message. And then that will go into this live super chat thing I have right down here that this is left over from last one that I will actually display on the screen. So if you want that extra attention, that's how you get it. So <laughs> just thought I'd throw is, that one out there. Yes. Is this the first Dash podcast where we are um, on Odyssey Live? Yes. Awesome. This that's is historic. Cool. It is both that and the first day I have done back-to-back -back podcasts on this channel because I used to do you know, every other week, you know, was one of those. And then, um, yeah, now a lot of firsts and I got to we'll celebrate at the end for that. So um, hopefully for these, I need to get like a new butt pillow or something because if I'm just sitting here for like hours and hours and then there's the after party, it's more hours and, <laughs> you know, it could get a little, get a little exhausting in a certain way. Um, John Morris, James. Yeah, maybe a custom butt pillow would be good for you. Really, yeah, really get the perfect fit. Molded to my <laughs> unique shape. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, the core things right now. The whole when Evo thing is in everyone's mind. That's what everyone wants to talk about. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's interesting that's not related to directly related to platform itself. That um, is kind of more, you know, kind of more your domain here. So mm -hmm. the one big thing I've noticed is private send has been had an interesting place in Dash's history over the years where it was you no one cared about Xcoin, let's be very clear about that. <laughs> then Darkcoin 
people cared about because it had this extra coin join type feature and it was the best in class kind of privacy to a certain extent, depending on who you're talking about. And for a while, it definitely was the, the leader of the privacy coin pack for just having this basic thing you could do on any other cryptocurrency, but in a very much more sophisticated and like built into the main wallet and using the proprietary network kind of thing. And then over after like that move to Dash to try to be more than just we mix coins, <laughs> then it's been an interesting relationship between, oh, digital cash for all kinds of things, not just privacy. And then to now, please don't call us a privacy coin. Please don't delist us. And so in this entire story arc of things, um, first off, people have not noticed that there have been a lot of actual improvements to private send over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to just give a quick summary from what you remember, at least since you've been involved, like what have been some of the things that have been changed to make it better? Yeah. So when I got, when I got started in dash really as a developer, mm -hmm. the, the main thing that, um, that I was interested in, the main thing that I looked into was private send. That's, that's the, that's, that's the big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and so I actually introduced a lot of changes over time to private send that we, that we have rolled out and, um, have been active on the network for quite, quite a while at this point. Yeah. One of the, one of the first things that I, that, you know, we did that I introduced was, and this was before I was working for dash Hoive, And I, I just did this because I wanted to see it done is, um, I introduced a new denomination, the point zero 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 one dash denomination i believe mm -hmm. um and that ends up resulting in lower fees when you're sending with private send yeah because you can't have change um and so having that smaller denomination allows you to spend less in fees when you're sending um and so that was one of the first things that i did the second thing that i did or maybe it was the first maybe i'm getting the order messed up but yeah, it's all right. very early on in my dash career again before i was even working for dash core group is um i introduced a pull request that changed the default number of rounds from two to four um initially the default was two um and although two is like fine it i don't know it's just it, it's not enough it can be a little lackluster it's it's fine right like if you're using two Mm -hmm. you, you just have to know what your security model is and don't use two rounds and just expect everything to work magically and be a hundred percent private. If, if, if you're only, you know, you, 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 you should use two or really four rounds for just, Oh, I'm going out and I don't want, you know, it, it's just a nice casual breaking of the transaction graph history. Mm -hmm. Whereas and, it's, and because of that, it's significantly cheaper in fees. But I wanted to increase that because a lot of people who, you know, get into Dash, they download the core wallet, they see, oh, private send mixing, you know, click, start, boom, good. And they think that's just perfect. And they don't realize that there are settings and options associated with it. Yeah, it's customizable. And that's one of the, yeah, and that's one of the, down, the downsides of, um, you know, our system. Uh, something like Monero they they pride themselves on being very difficult for the user to mess it up 
Um, and so, you know, cut, back cut in the day... Cut it off at difficult for the user. <laughs> well, that's that's very true, too. Yeah, um, there's that. Right, but well. back in the day, Monero allowed people to, you know, have uh, a number of different ring sizes and stuff like this. And that allowed for, like, transaction um, profiling based on the number of rings that you're using and stuff like that. Mm. And they... You know, they decided that they wanted to make it as difficult for someone to, you know, break their own privacy as possible, mm -hmm. uh, besides just publishing their view key. Um, and, but of course, they have a lot of trade-offs with that because they have a fixed ring size. You, it results in significantly higher transactions, all of that. And that's not even getting into like confidential transactions or whatnot. Um, so... You know, that, that's their goal is they want to make it very difficult to mess up. But Dash wants to be customizable. It wants to allow those different use cases. And so for some people, they just don't they just don't want the barista to see that they have a master. They mix two rounds. They're fine. They don't necessarily care too much if the IRS realizes that they have a master node mm -hmm. or whatnot. Um, but other people are going to have different security models. They're going to care more about their privacy or less. And that's OK. People should be able to have different security models. Um, and so for some people, two is good. Some 16 is perfect. Um, but the default was two, and that was just a little low. So I introduced that PR to increase it to four. And I think that pull request also changed the maximum from eight to 16. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember that change. I was grateful for it as well. Yeah. Uh, later on, um, what was it? I introduced a pull request. I think this was once I was finally working um, as a contractor for Dash mm -hmm. Group. Um, and let's see, I believe this pull request, it introduced um, random participant count mixing. Yeah. Um, where, you know, so pre in back in the olden days, if you were doing mixing, it was always with two other people. Mm -hmm. There were always exactly three people in a mixing session. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Like, that's good. But it allows certain profiling because you know that there are three people involved in a mixing session. Yeah. And so you're able to do different assumptions and profiling. And so I introduced a change where the number of participants would be random between three and five um, up to the liquidity of the network. So if only yeah. three people are mixing on the network, well then still those three people will be together and they'll mm -hmm. continue to mix and be fine. But if five people are in the network, then sometimes three people will mix together, sometimes four people will mix together, and sometimes five people will mix together. Yeah, breaking um, patterns. Exactly. And so that that was quite valuable. Um, later on, um, I introduced a pull request that changed um, the maximum number of participants from five all the way up to 20. And that's been active on the network for quite a while now. So when you're mm -hmm. mixing, you could be mixing with 19 other people. And, you know, there's, there's no way for an outside observer to distinguish between a mixing with three people and with nine people or with 12 people or with 15 people. Yeah. And so that really makes profiling and like statistical analysis much more difficult. Um, and then now, well, I think, Maybe it was in version 16. Maybe it's in version 17. Mm -hmm. um, I think version 16 has it. Um, I introduced a feature called random round mixing. Yeah, um, I do notice that when I manually select my inputs when sending stuff. 
Mm -hmm. And so what happens is uh, previously when you were doing um, analysis, you know, like attacks on private send, you could assume that every output was mixed for the same number of rounds. Mm -hmm. And that made your attack significantly easier. Like it was still very, very difficult, but uh, relatively easier. Um, but when you don't know how many rounds it could be, uh, because a lot of times if you're an attacker, you can assume like, okay, maybe this person used four rounds. Maybe this person used eight rounds. Maybe they used 16 rounds. You can kind of assume one of those is pretty normal. Yeah. And that's, that's also one reason why, you know, when, when I mix, I don't necessarily use 16. Maybe I use 15 rounds and mm -hmm. mix it up a little bit more, you know, break your statistical, um, you know, don't look like the normal person, even though, yeah. yeah. So, so introduce random round mixing. So now if you set your round count to be 16, what actually happens is um, some number of your outputs mix for 16 and then another random number mix for 17 and then another random number mix for 18. Mm -hmm. um, and it has a, it has a exponential decay where, um, you know, it is in, you know, it is certain that all of your outputs will be mixed for 16 rounds. It is pretty likely that they'll be mixed for 17. It is unlikely 18. It's almost never 19, but it still can happen. And then it mm -hmm. will never happen for 20. Yeah. Um, because, because we set a max to be three additional rounds. And so with that, it increases your private in anonymity set a little bit because your average round count is going to be slightly higher. Instead of being mm -hmm. 16, it might be 16.5. Yeah. Um, I did the math at some point, but I don't remember it. And additionally, it becomes so much more difficult for an attacker to try and trace back through the transaction graph when looking mm -hmm. at a private send because they can't just go back eight and then try to find clusters. Mm. They have to go back, um, you know, eight for one input and then eight for another input, then eight for the third input and then try nine for the fourth input yeah. and then try 10th for the fourth input. And they have to go through all of those combinations and it just becomes exponentially more difficult to try and um, try and find clusters by g tracing the transaction graph backwards. Yeah, so it seems um, like it's, it, it's some significant, like very minor seeming improvements, but it seems like mm -hmm. as far as the actual effect on traceability, it's been absolutely massive. Yeah, it really has been. Going from um, increasing from three participants upwards, um, it really does increase your anonymity set. It goes from being, oh, uh, what is it? I think it goes from being three to the number of rounds. Mm -hmm. So like if you're doing four rounds, your anonymity set, you know, roughly speaking, not exactly, is three to the um, four. Mm -hmm. um, but so, but when you do, uh, when you have four participants, it increases that. Uh, significantly if you actually run the math out. So that's a significant improvement on anonymity set, as well as um, the random round mixing really makes it much, much, much more difficult to do. I, I don't think there's a good name for it, but I guess I would call it like backtracing analysis. Yeah. Um, but it makes that so much more difficult because you have to try all of those permutations or combinations of uh, round counts. So. so when we're talking about this, um, back in the day, 
coin join was in, uh, invented and there was always been some like centralized tumblers or mixers where you send some guy your money and then they mix it around they send it back and those are always terrible <laughs> but mm -hmm. to date there's been quite a few improvements in the coin join kind of world for you know privacy options for mainly for bitcoin i guess because you know that's mostly what people use as far as like darknet markets and things as far as i'm able to tell at the present day even though monero's made some headway into there um, so obviously there's a bunch of different kinds of ways of doing coin join how many other implementations if you if you know i mean i don't know how much you've been you know i guess competition eyeing but how mm -hmm. many of these kinds of improvements are present or how does all this kind of stuff stack up with other things like let's just take say cash shuffle or cash fusion one of those two bitcoin cash type mixing things obviously uh they do mix but do they do one round do they do two rounds do you you know do they how like randomly select participants is it static do you know any any of those kinds of details for some of the other systems out there yeah so there are a number of different systems and all of them work you know relatively differently mm -hmm. um one of the biggest is for bitcoin called wasabi wallet yeah um and so they have built in uh um mixing um and so there um instead of using so so one of the interesting things is that dash dash's mixing protocol unlike mm -hmm. most other bitcoin based mixings uh dash uses multiple dash allows the user to use multiple inputs and outputs mm -hmm. uh for any mixing session um Whereas Bitcoin's Wasabi, you can only use one input, to my knowledge. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess you could use multiple because there's no way for them to tell. But if you have one wallet open, it will only mix one at a time. Um, and so with that, they calculate your anonymity set based on the number of other people that you mix with. Mm -hmm. And that's really easy to tell for them because, um, because one input corresponds to like one user. Uh, but in Dash, because people use multiple inputs and outputs, it's significantly, um, it's, it's really kind of harder to do a direct comparison on anonymity set. Um, and so, so with Wasabi, they, they allow you to, um, you, you select your coins based on, um, <laughs> do you see this? Yeah, I that's got fun. Someone gave me a fun, happy donation. Thank you, Anonymous. And you're clearly very anonymous because you said, this private send input is mixed for 83 rounds. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So the single input for 83 rounds. I wonder how, how you have to be working on some special stuff for that, huh? Yeah, probably. Um, so it, it's simply a constant in Dash Core that we set the maximum as 16 and there's really no it's it's not gospel there's no reason that it has to be 16. the the thought process is just that once you run the math out at 16 it is so 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 unlikely that they're just there's there's no point to mix further than that mm -hmm. um besides to have a fun point and be able to say you mix for 83 rounds mm -hmm. um there's no real point you're just going to be paying higher fees yeah um 
although it does help network liquidity, so that's good and that's beneficial. Um, but generally, you know, we don't want people paying higher fees for no benefit. So mm -hmm. we set a default maximum as we, we set the maximum to be 16. But if you want to compile your own version of Dash Core, it's a super simple modification. It's in like, I think it's in private send.h um, is the file. And it's like one constant. You just change it from 16 to 32 and it's good to go. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. But it's pretty cool stuff. I um saw, it's not showing up now, but there was a, there was a, another message from Anonymous. I'll wait until it pops in here to actually display it but said the enemies of sound money will go after dash even if we remain rename private send to dash coin join change my mind that's a whole interesting topic and stuff let's get into that after finishing up this kind of base thing so there's some fundamental like it sounds like the way private send is constructed is advantageous over a few different kinds of um yeah a few different kinds of like join that are out there right now now um what's most interesting is the show me on coin join which basically makes it so that from my understanding right that the mixing node whatever node helps coordinate the mixing doesn't really have any meaningful information on the participants and mm -hmm. so that would be like for example wasabi wallet does that um dash the, the way Dash works now doesn't, but it's not seen as really that much of a problem because, you know, you have a, like, let's just round up to 5,000 master nodes, right? You got a whole bunch of master nodes. They're all part of the Dash network. They all have a thousand Dash staked behind them, basically. And, like, the odds of that being malicious, like, you know, malicious node tracking stuff is just, like, already so low that, like, why, it's not that much of a problem. But, Show me on CoinJoin would make that like from a very, 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 very small chance to like a zero chance kind of. Is that a good understanding? Yeah. So, so currently, when you do a single round of mixing, the master node that you mix with is able to tell, is able to link your inputs and outputs. That's the only person who can. Mm -hmm. um, that master node can link your inputs and outputs, and that's why in Dash we use multiple rounds, and that's why using multiple rounds is, is important. Because if you only use one round, it's not it's not it's not really secure. That master node knows the linkage between inputs and outputs. Mm -hmm. um, so Chami and CoinJoin breaks that. It means that that master node can no longer link between your inputs and outputs. Um, it's not. I've I've looked into it a lot, and it's one of the things that is on the backlog and one of the things that I want to implement. But it's not as trivial as it is in other systems. Mm -hmm. because um, in, in Wasabi, right, every participant sends one input and has one output, yeah. right? And so it's really, um, it's, there's, no, there's no clustering that you're able to do based on input counts because all of them use one input. Mm -hmm. um, in Dash, we don't use equal number of inputs, and there's a really important reason for that, that, I can maybe get into later if anyone really cares, but mm -hmm. the, the gist is we can't use the same number of inputs. We could all use one input, but that will slow down mixing drastically and we don't want to do that. And so what we need to do 
to enable to implement Charmy and CoinJoin. We could implement Charmy and CoinJoin naively today, mm -hmm. but it would provide no real privacy benefits by just implementing Charmy and CoinJoin. Mm. And the reason for that is if you have two participants, right, me yeah. and Joel, and I have three inputs and I have three outputs and Joel has four inputs and four outputs, the way that Charmy and CoinJoin works is that um, you send your outputs, uh, you send your inputs initially, and then they send you like a, a cryptographically garbled t signature. Um, and then you're able to unblind that. Um, and then you send that unblinded signature with your outputs. Mm -hmm. And so the mass node is able, or the server or, is able yeah. to say, yes, this person did submit inputs um, because it has the like jumbled signature, but it can't link between the inputs and the outputs because that signature was jumbled and then unjumbled and weirdness. Mm -hmm. um, however, in our case, right, I submit three inputs, you submit four inputs, then I submit three outputs with a blinded signature mm -hmm. and you submit four outputs with a blinded signature, even though, you know, the server operator can't technically trivially link between the inputs and the outputs. Mm -hmm. Realistically, he can, because he can look at the grouping and see, oh, three goes to three, four goes to four. Mm -hmm. Obviously those are the same person and link between inputs and outputs. And yeah. so what needs to happen is, um, there needs to be a way to um, communicate to the server uh, securely and privately um, so that you can do multiple sessions, basically. And you would do multiple sessions at the same time. Uh, basically, you would do one input, one output. Just you would do that like 10 times uh, if you wanted to do 10 inputs and 10 outputs. Mm. Um, and so the way that... so. In order to get here, one of the routes that I have investigated and I've looked into is um, having having masternodes run a hidden hidden service. Okay. Um, and so a hidden service is like what you see on like it's it's how you connect to like servers over Tor. Um, and so a lot of times, the point of a hidden service is the person behind it wants to stay anonymous. Yeah. Um, there are actually changes that we can, there's a specific flag that we can set in the config that basically tells Tor, hey, we don't care about being anonymous ourselves. So speed up this transmission and we're not going to be anonymous. We just mm -hmm. want a secure connection where the user is anonymous. Um, and that's what Facebook's uh, Onion address actually did. Hmm. Um, and it's called, oh, I forget what it's called, Tor. Um, I can't remember it. I wrote it down somewhere. It's in one of my documents and I have like a somewhere. almost dip like it. Yeah. I, I have an almost dip on this and how this would work. But basically mm -hmm. every masternode would run this server that is listening over the Tor network. And yeah. this is this is fine because like they're not they're not being hidden. In fact, your connection doesn't even look like uh it, it just looks like HTTPS data. Um it doesn't look anything weird. No VPS provider is going to flag it as you hosting something. It, it looks totally fine. Um, and, but that will enable users to connect to the masternode over multiple different connections. And then Charmian blinding has a real effect. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's something that I've been looking into and really, really, really want to implement because it'll be, you know, it's, it's just really good. Um, 
but realistically the privacy benefit isn't huge yeah but the workload is relatively high mm -hmm. um and so it it's on the backlog but it just hasn't gotten highly prioritized at this point so yeah so would you consider the present state of dash mixing dash mix transactions to be competitive or superior with what's mostly available out there for other chains yeah yeah i think it's highly competitive at the very least um i think it's probably superior but mm -hmm. i don't know all of the intricacies of their systems mm -hmm. um and 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 so th there are trade-offs with any different approach um obviously using wasabi you're going to pay a crap ton of fees and so you know from my perspective that's a huge negative um, but other people might not see that as a huge negative and might be okay with that. So it all depends on your perspective, but it's at least highly competitive, um, arguably yeah. superior. And at least using it in, um, like even in networks like Bitcoin Cash that don't have those insane fees, you still have to pay mixing fees, right? I mean, whereas the Dash ones are free. So the Dash ones are not free. Um, there is a yeah. fee associated with it that covers the, basically block usage. Yeah, the collateral but, payment thingy. Yeah, it is quite low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, the fact that now like Electra Mobile, you can mix on mobile now as well. And so that's one thing that's like now you can kind of have a universal um, payment experience. Um, now, as far as, because of the, of the whole mixing system does make things more complicated for the end user and it's basically means that the average newbie user will never do anything with mixing pretty much just because it's like oh well, i gotta like hit a button and then it mixes and then i gotta wait oh i don't want to wait and then when you send it there's like other complications like for example i remember i did one transaction one time because i was trying to like pay a specific amount and it just you know on just automatic and it had the little warning of like 10 put inputs are over warning this thing will take like 93 inputs or something i'm like jesus whoa like <laughs> and always in the back of my head i'm thinking when evo but like what happens how does privacy look like in a username based world where we kind of move on to that stuff and so it seems like relatively easy to just have like a mixing in the background thing going on a, you know, a side pocket of the wallet when you're doing username to username. Uh, one of the most annoying things is when I'm trying, like when I'm trying to send an entire, like a certain amount to an uh, end destination. But because for privacy reasons, I don't want to have a big cluster of over 10 inputs. And so then it's like, all right, well I have to like request an address like five or eight different addresses from the end, you know, from the end, and then just individually construct smaller transactions at each one just to be extra, extra, extra careful. Now, what do you think are the possibilities? You could have a username based dash wallet that if you decide to send, let's just say I want to send like a certain amount to a friend and it automatically limits it at, under 10, like nine inputs, it caps it at nine inputs. And so it automatically requests several different addresses from them and sends 
uh, sends a transaction in under 10 input pieces until it's completed and just kind of like sends several in a row rather than just one payment. Uh, yeah. First off, how difficult is that to do? And second, would that, because it's, you know, because of the, I guess the predictability that you're, you're trying to send this to the same person, would that actually end up harming the privacy it's trying to gain by not using 10 inputs? Yeah, you would have to, you would have to think about the system a little bit. Mm -hmm. You would want to ensure that, um, so one thing is when in using DPNS, um, and sending to a name with platform, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's non-interactive. It's completely non-interactive. You can, you have unlimited number of addresses at hand for that other person mm -hmm. because you can just derive new addresses for them. Um, and they have the private keys to them that they can access. Um, uh, NFT is just a unique so digital item. It, 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 it would be easy to just send them, you know, multiple transactions. Mm -hmm. You would probably want to think about the system a little bit and probably, um, you would probably want to, uh, make the transactions look more legit. Um, mm -hmm. for example, if you're, if, right, if I'm sending a bunch of funds to Joel and I have say, um, uh, uh, I have 12 one dash denominations that I'm sending and I have, uh, 3.1 dash denominations. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm sending. I would, you would, you wouldn't want to send one transaction with nine one dash inputs mm -hmm. and then another transaction with the remaining, you would want yeah. to try and mix them together to make it look more genuine and legit. Um, even then there are going to be some privacy implications there. Like if the, you know, if the, if the, if you send them to someone and then they combine them immediately after, well, it's kind of obvious looking at that transaction history, um, that, you know, all of your inputs probably came from the same, per those two private send transactions probably came from the same person. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as you want, hmm. it, but the gist of it is. I don't think it would be too difficult. There would be a couple of things that you would have to think about mm -hmm. um, as to how you would do it well. Um, I would love to see private send support on the official mobile wallets. Um, I know the mobile teams are super busy right now and Quantum Explorer is probably going to hate me for saying it, but I really, really, really want them to implement some kind of, uh, you know, private sender mixing coin join support. Um, yeah. Because I, I think that will drastically make it easier for people to use, you know, dash mixing and coin join outside of the core wallet and from your desktop. But, yeah. Yeah. So, first off, I think that that's great. Privacy is a human right and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, of course, the the bigger challenge, of course, the, the small challenge is developer bandwidth. How many people do you have working on it? How many people can work on it? versus on other things, what's the budget like? That's a concern, but it seems like something that can be fixed. But the the more prickly thing is, of course, priorities based on regulatory stuff. So because Dash has these features which are on Bitcoin and other things like that, because it has it built into the protocol to a certain extent and into the official wallets, that has caused some or that and because more importantly because of the branding back in the day that has caused mm -hmm. dash to be called something called like an AEC anonymity enhanced 
cryptocurrency or a privacy coin as stuff like Cointelegraph likes. Although they did call it payments-based coin in their last article, which is, thanks, thanks Cointelegraph, you're learning. Uh, basically, because of that stuff, there's been a lot of talk about Dash is not a privacy coin, don't delist us. Well, why does he have a thing called private send? Uh, it's just hard to come back from that. And so because of that, there's been discussion about changing the actual branding and name, not really doing anything about the actual thing, but changing the branding to something other than private send. So first off, oh, how are discussions going on that? Do you have any kind of update on where that's going as far as the branding? So it is, it is our intent at this point to, um, to debrand private send within the core wallet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, just replace it with coin join and mixing. Mm -hmm. um, all, all of the feature set remains exactly the same. Version 17 in, should include a couple of enhancements to private send, although nothing super, super fun. Mm -hmm. um, just a couple of, couple of relatively minor improvements, if I remember my change list correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but we are going ahead with the uh, debranding of it. And that is that is planned to be done in version uh, 17. And in fact, there is a pull request open right now. Um, so if anyone wants to go review that pull request and look at some of the verbiage that we're, we're using, that, that might be beneficial. Um, really what it comes down to is that it's really a problem of communication. Um, initially, uh, when, when, when Ryan brought this up internally, I really wasn't a fan. I thought that's a stupid idea. Why are we just pandering to the you know government people? They're not going to change. They're still going to come after us. Mm -hmm. What's the point? It doesn't do anything. Um, but what I've what I what I kind of learned talking more about it and thinking about it more is that the problem isn't that um, the problem isn't that regulators understand the technology and that mm -hmm. they dislike the technology. The problem is that they hear the word privacy and they get really, really scared. That's um, the P word. I, you know, from 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 what I've heard, uh, is that privacy, the 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 word private, mm -hmm. when translated into like Japanese, has an incredibly negative connotation. It has the connotation of like anonymous, backstreet alley. I'm. Might as well be kidnap your daughter, kind of thing. Um, and because of that, whenever you bring, whenever you say private send, mm -hmm. um, they just get really scared and they don't like it. Yeah. And so what I've what I've heard internally is that what happens is they go to these regulators, especially in you know Japanese and these other Asian countries, and they 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 talk about the entire feature list. They talk about what private send actually does. They compare it to Bitcoin. They compare it to other cryptocurrencies that have very very similar uh, feature sets. Mm -hmm. and they explain it all and then at the end they say well then why is it called private send and to me that doesn't make any sense like private send okay i'm sending something privately like it makes complete yeah. sense to me um but when translated it has that incredibly negative illegal type connotation and that's the big problem is that connotation in that understanding from other people yeah so might as well just call it yakuza send at this point right <laughs> sure whatever that means um, it's like you know the japanese mafia you know oh okay so yeah <laughs> it's like yeah might as well call it mobster send or like dirty um, drug money send or whatever 
So does it mean <laughs> exactly? Does it have the um, same connotations so, in other languages, or is it is that the one that causes most of the problems, or is it just a few like Korea as well? My understanding is it's really just. I, my understanding is it's just, it's it's really centered in the you know South, Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. so that Japanese Korea. I, I'm not I'm not super um, involved in those discussions or anything. So this is mm-hmm. pretty well secondhand knowledge. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, my understanding is Japan and Korea are the main problems, I guess. And so, you know, we we, we know that this feature set is mm-hmm. critically important. You know, it's the whole reason why I'm in Dash. Um, and it it's critically important as it, it, it is, like, you cannot have digital currency ability. It cannot mm-hmm. happen. Um, and so... Because of that, private send is not going anywhere as a feature. It, you know, mixing is staying in the core wallet, and it's going to be there as long as I have any say on what happens at uh, Dash Four. Um, and, but really, it's about changing the name so that we don't have that incredibly negative connotation, and so that we can be involved in those markets, and so that we're not lumped in with the Monero types. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, that based on how this has been going so far, I don't think we'll have time for the whole nano discussion about nano had a big nasty spam attack and stuff. But one thing that is worth noting about that stuff is, so we're talking about UTXO-based cryptocurrency, Dash, where you get a new address every time for privacy reasons, and that's still not enough for digital cash reasons. We need to actually explicitly mix in order to, you know, protect basic user privacy from, you know, basically having their their funds tracked and get their house robbed or something. Now, it's worth noting that one of the ways, one of the things that Nano does, just like Ethereum and other things, is their account-based cryptocurrencies, meaning you don't have a new address every time. There's just one address, and that's your balance on your address. Now, can you imagine that, like... That's like the old school days when I had one Bitcoin address that I used, you know? And can you mm-hmm. imagine, then it's like literally, you don't have to have any technical knowledge at all. You don't have to be like, all right, let me see if I can correlate some of this stuff and watch where the inputs go. It's like, no, you just see, where did I get the money from? Oh, from this address. This is how much money the guy has. Go hit him over the head. And so it's kind of worth noting that like everything, it's not just, well, why remove it? What do you even need it if you're mainstream adoption? It's like, well... If you cut corners, corners are cut, right? You cut enough corners and the whole ship sinks. So, yeah, I just thought that would be worth throwing throwing that thing out there. Yeah, that is a good good point. So, because of all... I'm just going to go in, like, priority list of things now. Um, the next thing, in terms of priority thing, was the whole trustless masternode shares thing. And, of course, there's a million other fun, juicy subjects like NFTs and state count, DeFi, and all this stuff. But trustless master trustless masternode shares are something that all the Dash community people really want, and all the um, and all the you know newbies who are just looking into it say, where can I stake Dash? Oh, I want to just stake on not on an exchange and stuff like that. And it's like a very big kind of subject, and it's also one where you actually have some, I would say, you know, some stuff that people might not know. So first off. What is the likelihood, do you think, that 
trustless masternode shares can be created in any kind of a user-friendly sort of a way? Well, user-friendly sort of the way is the big, the, the hardest part about answering a question is defining the terms. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out what user, what, what is an acceptable user experience or not is mm -hmm. really the most difficult part of that. Of course. Because right now there are trustless masternode, uh, trustless shared masternodes on the network right now. I know firsthand I designed the specification that ended up getting deployed. Hmm. Um, I, they, you know, it, it very much so exists and a number of people are using them. Um, the main difficulty comes in the uh, usability side and the ease of you setting it up. Um, and so that is gonna, I, I, I walk, my understanding, I've talked with the CrowdNode people a bit about this and I shared my specification with them mm -hmm. and everything like that. Um, and my understanding is that they are uh, heavily looking into this. Um, it is incredibly unlikely that in the near future, it'll be possible for, you know, one dash um, trustless masternode shares just because the hassle is too high on it. But for relatively large holders, I would say above like 100 dash, um, I would not be surprised if they have a solution that is quite user-friendly and um, completely trustless minus the payouts. Mm. Um, so the payouts at this point can still be, you know, stolen effectively by the person in charge of running the masternode or whoever gets, well, so, eh, not technically. Um, you could set your payout address to be some multi-sig or some script. Um, and so it could be a requirement that all of the participants have to agree in order to uh, mm. pay out a payout payouts. But that gets pay out a payout payout. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there are benefits and costs that you can kind of balance on it that mm -hmm. make it either more user-friendly or more completely secure. Um, I think most of the deployed nodes use a centralized person as the payout. So mm. they receive the payouts, they do the accounting, and then they send out to the individuals um, of the share. But your your actual portion of the your actual masternode share itself, the 100 dash that you put into the masternode, that is always trustless, trustlessly. Mm -hmm. um, secure and not even if every other participant colluded against you, you still couldn't lose your funds. Um, yeah. but really making it usable is the difficult part. Um, I think it's possible. I would not be surprised if CrowdNode is able to figure something out that works pretty well, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be as easy as go on CrowdNode, send to an address. It's going to be a little bit more complicated than that because you are controlling your own funds. You're controlling your own keys. And anytime you do that, it introduces a higher level of complexity. Yeah, like as long as it's some sort of an easy wizard style setup, like um, back in the old days of the copay wallet, when you're setting up a little multi-sig wallet with a bunch of people, it was pretty straightforward, you know? Even though multi-sig on its own is just more complicated, just that the process was relatively okay. And as long as it's something like that. Now, the payout thing, the, the whole um, having to do a decentralized payout thing that's kind of the that's kind of the the sticking point right as far as doing like a multi-party payout um so 
so I didn't fully uh, hear your question, but multi-party payouts are mm -hmm. in the works. Um, yeah. There's actually a a concept, a specification open on the incubator um, where we are looking for people to to work on this. Um, I think there was some some movement on that this morning that I haven't gotten mm -hmm. up to date on in the incubator. Um, but if you're if you're someone that's interested in this, if you want to look into it and tr work on uh, improving uh, trustless masternodes, uh, definitely take a look at the incubator and look at the uh, concept for uh, multi-party payouts. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not too complicated, but basically what it what it would be is it'd be a modification to uh, dip three. Um, Right, right now, if you do a masternode, you can set an operator reward. Um, and so basically, it would be extending that to um, allow multiple... Uh, it, right, so right now, you can do basically two payout addresses. You can do a payout for yourself, and then you can do a payout address for the operator, and you can set some percentage to the operator. Yeah. Basically, it would do the similar logic to that. It would just extend... Instead of having a single payout address for your masternode, you could have multiple and you could specify percentages on those. Um, so if you're interested in that, definitely look at the incubator and the concept associated with it, and you might be able to earn some dash. Yeah. And so then the other part that is just always going to be very difficult to figure out in a completely decentralized way is uh, the running of the node itself. You still need a single, I guess, node operator to do that. Is that correct? Yeah, you do. And so basically, whenever you're going to form a trustless master and shares situation, you kind of want to identify people, hopefully people you trust to a certain extent. But basically, you don't need to trust with your money, though, to be very clear. But mm -hmm. some you want to identify some people ahead of time, and then you want to construct it. It's not so much like you just open a wallet and just start dumping into the shares shares pocket. Yes, exactly. And uh, that's one of the problems that I have with the more generalized approach to masternode shares, where mm -hmm. you basically just, you know, say you like send a transaction signaling that I want my dash to be staked to a, you know, a masternode is you don't know who's operating it. You don't know who's in charge of those keys. And that becomes a problem and it could allow people to, uh, a malicious operator to get more masternodes than they should be able to get. Mm -hmm. um, you really should trust the person that's running your masternode. Preferably, it's one of you. It's one of you who's in the masternode, mm -hmm. and it's one of you that's actually has Dash behind it. Um, but otherwise, it should be an operator that you trust and um, has a good track record. Yeah, and I guess that's where um, CrowdNote and things like that come into it, is as a reputable company of sorts, then as the person that runs the node is that party and then their customers together, that kind of makes it for someone who knows zero about dash to be able to just like get in there and like participate, or of course, just give it to them directly. Let them be custodians of your funds and take all those, you know, risks of going mukau and boom, you know, <laughs> like as yeah. that, as that were. Yeah. It seems exactly. like, and now I think it's funny that you mentioned like about who's running the node and the security risks and stuff. That kind of reminds me of um, the nano system. Now, maybe I'll just do the whole like nano divulge <laughs> right now. Um, so the, first off, the way nano does, their, the way they do their security model 
on as far as who's running the nodes is something that's very i would say user friendly on the the basic user end where you just say i get this stake and it's so easy although you don't get any money from staking with nano by the way you just like pledge to support a node basically anyone can run a node but only nodes with a certain amount pledged behind them like staked behind them more or less actually can actually matter in the consensus and you know as the security model and so anyone with a nano wallet can then pledge to just a list of nodes and oh nano norway oh, i like these guys let's throw them behind them and then that's kind of how it works so it is like a staked model kind of like a proof of stake ish except that the people actually running the thing don't have to have it's like delegated proof of stake basically yeah mm -hmm. and i think that's exactly what it is right yeah it's funny because <laughs> like as i mentioned like everyone's trying to do things differently all the time like oh our thing is better or no none of these problems and it reminds me of that like astronaut like looking at Earth with the guy behind him with the gun meme and just like wait it was all it, it was all DPoS it always was <laughs> like <laughs> it just circles back to delegated proof of stake and so I like I like that model as far as if you just wanted people to stake Dash right but the problem is of course people could spin up a bunch of nodes and then put cool names behind them and say oh yeah I'm this guy and then one or a few actors could just control a ton of the net, the network without actually having any stake behind it and that could be a big problem but nano has another problem running from it which is they had a spam attack which is supposed to not happen but basically they had a big spam attack because you don't need to actually pay any money to send a transaction no fees and so because of no fees one corner you had to cut is spam attacks oh everyone has to do a little bit of proof of work to send a transaction everyone has to do a little proof of work to receive that transaction but apparently there's ways of just it, it, the cost of that is not too high to where you can't just like make the whole network inoperable because of that and also the no fee corner cut that we had with with um the security model means that now you don't actually pay people like with masternodes you pay masternodes to run a robust as hell network and if you don't, well, you can run into some of these kinds of things. So it's pretty it's pretty fun. Someone actually had a um, question about this, which is, I know it's maybe a stupid question, but Dash will Dash fees always stay low? Even if someday um, Dash will be will cost less than, like, say, $2,000, will, will the fees still be like today? Because the gas fees are insane on Ethereum. So basically, Dash is cheap enough today that we don't care that we have to pay for things. But... What do you think about long-term scaling? Will Dash always be relatively inexpensive to use? Yeah. So basically, yes. The, an the answer is basically yes. Mm -hmm. um, and the the reason why we're able to do that is exactly because we have incentivized nodes. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with you know scaling Bitcoin or Ethereum by just pumping up the block size is because, or in Ethereum, the gas limit, is because the vast majority of their nodes are just volunteers. They, they just like the project or maybe their exchanges, but they don't have an incentive to actually have a robust operational node. Um, whereas with Dash, if your node falls behind, it is very, very possible that you get proof of service bumped. Um, it's not a guarantee, but if you like if, 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 you're, if your node is too slow, it's very possible that you get proof of service bumped and you get kicked off. And so because of that, you are incentivized to have an incredibly to you're incentivized to have a good enough, you know, node 
And so as the block size increases, as more transactions are, are used, that will incentivize masternodes to get better hardware that can then support more transactions. And there will be things that we have to do, like different scaling properties that we, that we uh, different scaling enhancements that we need as we see higher transaction counts. But generally, yeah, fees, fees are, should remain low in Dash because of our incentivized node structure. That's one thing that whenever I really love doing this, like dive into nano type thing, because whenever you look into like, I, I don't believe anything in life really exists out of context. Everything is in the context of its opposite. And he's saying like, you know, no fees, everything's free. And you're like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be great? And it's like, well, okay, well, what are, what are we actually paying for anyway that we don't maybe need to be paying for and it's like oh okay an actual like you know robust um infrastructure robust security system something that just works and otherwise you have to do everything yourself which is a non-monetary way of paying for things so yeah that is what it is um we were talking a lot about nfts on the other podcast right so not you and i but i was um First off, what do you think of the prospects for NFT on Dash? I know that there are some, I've heard that there are some on Bitcoin Cash today where I guess they use the, the op codes to then store some extra you know, information and stuff in there. But have you given much of a thought towards NFTs on Dash? So I think it's, is it Cloud Wheels or mm -hmm. maybe Readme? Probably Cloud Wheels on mm -hmm. the incubator who's basically doing nfts um on he, he's using nfts in the context of like minecraft i think yeah. is his application for it at this point um and so i haven't looked too much into it honestly but it definitely does seem um very possible i mean if it's possible on bitcoin cash it's incredibly likely that it's possible on dash at this point um, yeah probably in a I different way though like not maybe in a like, I wonder how the token would be created. Like, it would be associated with on-chain transactions like usual, or it would be like a platform chain thing, I wonder. Yeah, um, that, that would probably depend on the purpose that someone wants. Mm -hmm. um, generally, you know, the layer one chain is going to be more robust, and you're going to have instant send uh, capabilities, mm -hmm. whereas layer, layer two, you're going to have lower fees and not necessarily as... Um, it's not as permanent almost. Um, mm -hmm. You're able to do pruning and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on probably the purpose that the person has, whether they would want that NFT to be on layer on platform or on the core layer. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one thing that's I think is interesting is uh, depending on who issues the NFTs and how they're created. Like you have an NFT, which is like a bunch of, like a token with a bunch of metadata. And part of that is an image file usually or almost invariably but it could be other things um in the file some of these issuers have centralized storage for where the file is actually stored other ones use ipfs or something like that now is this something where dash drive could be used to like store the actual file behind the nft so the entire thing is a self-contained dash nft or that maybe not be desirable um, I don't think that would be desirable. Dash Drive isn't intended to 
store large bits of data like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right, even with even with uh, username images in uh, DashPay, mm-hmm. you know those those images aren't stored on chain, and you know it's just just because it doesn't make sense to. Instead, what you do is you store a commitment to it, right? You store a hash of it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to store five hundred, you know. Uh, 50 uh there's no reason to store 5000 copies of this image mm-hmm. if not more yeah, if course. you can just store 5000 copies of this super tiny hash and mm-hmm. then have have it hosted on github pages or whatever mm-hmm. um wherever you want and you can still assert that the value is correct and anyone that wants to uh retain possession of it can you know have a copy of it but yeah I don't think it makes sense to put that on drive itself because you'd just be duplicating it everywhere. Yeah. Now the important thing about NFTs is, I mean, other than just NFTs and like, what, what do they do? But the important thing about it is, uh, ownership and transfer of ownership where it's not just, Oh, I created a token. It's like, okay, how, do you want to sell it? Cause then how does that mechanism work and things like that? And, I think it's pretty um, being able to do this username to username to where you can actually like, you know, in a very user friendly kind of a way, just like have all your NFTs in your wallet and just send it to another user and not like this is my big long Ethereum address and all that kind of stuff, the way it works. So definitely I would say that um, NFTs would be some kind of a huge thing with Dash. So um, what was the other thing we were looking at? There was, I'm just going to open the message I sent to you. So I, I know we're covering all the bases because there's always other stuff to talk about, but I ah, yes, the stake hound slash DeFi. So first off, how familiar are you with the whole stake hound thingy and DeFi? Um, I'm, so I, I'm probably more familiar with DeFi than I am stake hound. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't used DeFi at, at all at this point. Um, I guess BISC technically counts as DeFi, but I've used BISC a little bit, but I haven't used any Ethereum or other smart contract-based DeFi at this point. Yes. Um, just because fees have been too high for me, although I I am interested in it and I want to, but fees are just keeping me away right now. Well, so um, a, cu- a couple of notes on that. So first off, is BISC at all usable these days? I used it way back in the day when they first rebranded to BISC, and it was just a garbage user experience. And is, is no, it, any it really now? hasn't gotten any better. I'm sorry. No, it still sucks. Yeah, I, I, I used it a couple of times, and then I gave up on it because the UX was terrible, and it, it had Bitcoin fees, and it was just bad. But Yeah, as as these things tend to go. Uh, now, as far as you're saying, like, Ethereum fees. Now, Ethereum is, the, of course, the gold standard of DeFi right now, but it's not that... Um, it's not the only thing. So, for example... Obviously, there's like the Binance Smart Chain in their pancake swap or the hell they call that. I don't really trust that, so I wouldn't use that. But in addition to that, um, I know there's like Pangolin Dex, which uses the Avalanche network, which, as far as I know now, is very scalable and has no fees or very low fees. So I don't know. That could be a thing that even if fees are stopping you from getting looking into it, um, yeah, that could be that could be a thing. Um, Interesting. So, stake hound. I'll just go into stake hound, and then you can kind of help with a little bit of the extra DeFi specific kind of stuff. Huh. Halawi says, "Q fees are too damn high." Meme. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> so Stakeout is a company that basically offers a wrapped dash kind of a product where basically you want to do extra cool shit with dash. So you have, you give them your dash. Of course you KYC first, right? Cause they're going to be custodians of your dash. You give them your dash and you get ST dash on a one to one ratio back. So you give them like, let's just for the convenience of it, say a hunt, say a thousand dash. Like you give them a whole master node worth. You KYC for that. You give them the whole thousand dash. They give you thousand ST dash. And they give you the majority of those master rewards, which you would be giving. They give you those back in ST Dash, which is an Ethereum token, right? And so basically what that allows you to do is now you get to just keep getting mastered rewards on your Dash, or most of them rather. And then you get to go play the DeFi games, which, you know, for example, you get to put them up as liquidity on other things. And, you know, like, for example, on Uniswap and then... Basically, what that allows you to do is to like sort of double dip on your dash and engage in all the the DeFi gambling type stuff at the same time as you're still <laughs> getting your your dash kind of rewards. So, I mean, first off, that sounds both really cool and not my thing at the same time. <laughs> um, and I don't know what do you, what do you think about the possibilities of that, like being able to have wrapped or ST dash that then you can play around with what, what kinds of stuff could you do with ST dash? Yeah. So uh, obviously one of the big things right now is you can do the liquidity providing mm -hmm. um, where you provide liquidity on something like Uniswap or sushi swap, or I don't know how these people came up with these names. That's, that's the tangent though. Yeah. Um, the, the, I don't see myself using, um, you, you using stake stake count dash at this point, mm -hmm. just because I don't see myself doing KYC like that. Yeah. Um, however, I could see it being quite valuable, um, where in theory, someone should be able to, if, if they have Ethereum, they might be able to, you know, swap it for, uh, ST dash and get mm -hmm. master node rewards and everything and do whatever they want while still holding that ST dash. And then, you know, they'd be able to swap it back for Ethereum and then just take it out. And there should be a no KYC or anything there to my knowledge. I'm not fully sure how that works or what that, how that, how that really works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's a, it's a kind of interesting thing because I guess a lot of people now what I don't know is if you can do this kind of stuff on L2, you know, like on other layers where you don't have to pay those horrendous fees because like right now it's like, Oh, Hey, you can take your horrendous, you know, it is good because it is sort of a trustless master node share type of a thing for some people. Right. Cause you swap, let's just say Ethereum for, um, well, it's about as trustless as Tether now. Let's remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. But it's like, it's a no KYC master share kind of a thing, I guess. You, in that, if you want to, you have Ethereum, you want to swap it for ST Dash, then now you have like recurring rewards on this Dash denominated stablecoin type thingy. And you don't have to do KYC to do that. Someone, in order to make the whole thing, had to. But. Anyway, mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, I'm just, 
the problem is like all the I have a hard time looking at the possibilities unless they're at scale. And like right now I'm just thinking about like what if I have like you know four to five dash worth of ether floating around there rather than just swapping them to dash what if I swapped them for ST dash and I got some recurring rewards on them for a while and it's like yeah okay great you've always spent half of it in fees so no <laughs> now yeah I am although you know Stakehound might not might <laughs> might not like me saying this but I, I am excited for like a when dash that mm-hmm. would be really cool. And I do believe that that is it's in being the worked works. on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure what its status is, but I do know people are looking into it. So, what is Ren? What would Rendash be for the viewers at home that don't know anything about this? So, Rendash is it, it is a trustless, to my understanding, it's mm-hmm. trustless or relatively trustless setup where you can send your dash, basically, do a a script um, mm-hmm. that is controlled by a, 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 a very large validator set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they issue um, Ren Dash on Ethereum. And so it's just a much, much more trustless setup compared mm-hmm. to something like Stakehound. Mm. Yeah. And so, do, but do you get master rewards on that or not? I'd think no. You probably. would not. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. And so for people who are just pure DeFi, it seems like a better option that they're just like, okay, well, I get to take my dash and I get to turn it into like some kind of a dash that I can like, you know, swap all and all these swap services and basically, basically um, non-centralized exchange day trade. And it seems like that's pretty straightforward. Now, the next level people who, you know, don't mind going through the KYC stuff, it's kind of like you get paid off for giving your information in getting kind of recurring master rewards on the thing. The, the fact you could double dip seems pretty cool to a certain extent, mm-hmm. right? Because people always yeah. want like extra money on stuff. And I remember there were people who were saying who had back in the day. Um, do you remember way back in the day during like the 2017 initial stages of the bull run when Dash hit a hundred bucks for the first time, then um, Roger Ver mm-hmm. loaned someone like a hundred grand worth of Dash because they were going to short it. They were trying to short Dash, and then Dash went to the moon after that, and they got wrecked. And Roger said he, the guy did it, paid back the loan, you know? But so, like, back in the day, um, I remember back then, lending Dash, because I guess so many people were, like, gambling with it on exchanges. Um, back in the day, the loan rates, the interest rates you'd get on loaning out your Dash on exchanges were so high that people were just like doing that instead of doing a master node. Mm-hmm. And even though there was a lot greater risk, it was like, well, you know, what could we do? And as far as I know, that's not quite the case anymore, but, or it could be, I haven't checked, but being able to double dip on that, where you do that and get master rewards at the same time, kind of, although that's obviously gross oversimplification, but that could be a cool thing where now it's just like, you have the, you know, the, it's like the Doge meme with like the jacked Doge and then the skinny, like weak one. It's like, you know, the, the skinny weak one is like the, the USD savings account. I get like almost no interest that doesn't even keep up with inflation. And then the Jack Doge is like, I get like, I get sound money that I get master rewards on and I get like, you know, liquidity provider stuff on, you know, just like mm-hmm. a, a nice, nice double stack thing, which would be interesting yeah. if you can, um, 
you know. What, what would yeah. be interesting to see is that if, right, so 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 that, let's assume Stakehound gets fully set up and good, and then Wendash gets fully set up and good. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see if, um, if Stake, if ST Dash trades at a premium to Wendash, right? Because if you think about it, right, some people might want to, you know, uh, convert dash into when dash and then buy st dash with their when dash um, and so if more people want to buy it then people are putting in via you know the kyc system that might cause st dash to actually trade at a premium and kind of incentivize people to like do the kyc and put dash in mm-hmm. i don't really know how that'll work but yeah that would be fun um I am very fascinated with the way markets trade and give premiums or discounts based on different factors that we might not necessarily think about. Like for example, on these P2P type exchanges, like I'm sure on like BISC and on probably local cryptos and stuff like that, um, I'm pretty sure that stuff, um, it trades at a premium because it's private, because you don't have to go through an exchange. And what I wonder is when when an exchange is going to be the um, the discount rather than just like the baseline. But it's like the same thing about like is ST Dash going to trade at a premium because you get some more money out of it because you get the the master rewards portion of it, or is it going to trade at a, you know is it going to trade at a discount because of the KYC? involved you can't really if you just get it from nothing can you you can't just get dash out of it out of st dash unless you already kyc and put it in and or is it going to be is it going to balance out to a certain extent and be the same price or is it going to be you know it's traded a premium but a less premium than you would think because there's the extra risk associated with the, the centralized aspect of it so that's funny to think i, I can't wait i can't wait to see how it actually trades yeah, I'm like I'm really excited for both Rendash and ST Dash. Although I'm probably a little bit more excited about Rendash, but mm-hmm. definitely both of them are good forays and um, good things to have happening. Yeah, uh, we did get a question in the comments which I'm seeking to address um, that just says, "How do I get Dash T-shirts like yours?" I'm in UK. None. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, ooh, and you got another super chat as well to address if i'm just real quick verifying that this is still the case but if you go to satoshigoods.com or de if you're in the the de part of the world um they have a bunch of crypto clothing stuff and i believe they have some dash i believe they have some dash stuff in fact let me actually just verify this exact design though was I have not seen it anywhere else because I got them all made. Um, we had, um, what is it? I, I made 500 of these. And just the basic Dash logo on like a black t-shirt. And as far as I know, there's a few different kinds of those. I've seen, what's his name? Um, Rodrigo with a kind of them on. But as far as I know, satoshigoods.com is the best place to go find, you know, the Dash shirts. Um, let me just make sure they have other stuff. There's some weird together artwork thingy. Um, actually I might as well drop 
Yes, this would be the place too. They even know some vintage dash dash embassy things, which doesn't. And they have a hashtag stay dashy as well. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, so there's some cool stuff there. Uh, so why don't we start wrapping this thing up? Let me um, refresh the the coin tree thing. Doesn't up update automatically anymore, so I have to like manually restart the browser. Um, but Let's take care of this one and then talk about community development opportunities. Okay, Anonymous says... Oh, wait, it's not Anonymous. <laughs> Ash Francis says, great podcast. Thank you very much, Ash. You're a gentleman and a scholar and a good drinking buddy, but let's not go there. So where can people go to get involved in Dash development? Because we're talking about these things like... Um, the multi-party masternode payout and we're talking about the ren dash integration all this stuff is being done by the dash incubator so mm -hmm. i'll even i mean what is it the actual website dash incubator.app is where you go to to figure out about that whole thing basically the dash incubator is a project that will pay you task by task to do anything about developing developing dash and so there are some tasks like hey can you come up with a new pull request on this thing or blah 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 or this you can also create a concept from start to finish and like you can just say oh i want to make a multi-coin dash username wallet that uses that uses dash usernames to associate multiple different um multiple different wallets for other coins let's get that made you can just type out a little specification thingy or a basic concept, people will get approved, and then someone makes specifications, you can get paid for that too, and then you can actually start developing it, and all every little bit of it is like bit by bit incentivized. It's a real cool thing. So that's where I would go. In fact, if you whatever channel, channel you're watching this on, whether it's YouTube or it's Odyssey slash library, I made a video about how to use the incubator, and you can go check that out. Now, that does lead me to the last question of the evening, which is not when Evo... It's when Dash Boost. <laughs> <laughs> so for the viewers at home who have not remembered, Dash Boost was a treasury program that was like a micro treasury, right? Which is basically, it's like the masters voting on proposals to give payouts and stuff, except it's not the masters necessarily. It's anyone with Dash could just vote and is geared for much smaller projects. And... Pasta and some other people ran that. And after, you know, basically it wasn't funded for a little while by the treasury itself. There was a time when there was some other anonymous donors who were helping fund it, but it just kind of got pushed back to, you know, sunsetted for the moment. So basically what are your thoughts on dash boost and where it goes from here? Hmm. Um, I, I think it can be very valuable for certain projects that are of a relatively small size. Mm -hmm. um, I I actually like the incubator style mm -hmm. more. Um, in fact, that was the that was kind of the original idea behind uh, Dash Boost was to kind of have something that was more um, incubator esque. Yeah, not as decentralized, right? Mm -hmm. That had that had a group of people you know, like the administrators of the incubator who kind of are in control of the funds that it receives. And, um, you know, people put in specifications and requests and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And 
they can get reviewed um, by uh, those admins and then given out or not given out. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of structure is a lot better. It's a lot less susceptible to gaming, uh, mm -hmm. gaming the system. Um, although I'm not completely against Dash Boost being a thing, um, but yeah. yeah. So generally, I would like to see an incubator type system, though, for more for more stuff, right? For something different than just what's going on in the incubator and the development focused stuff. Um, yeah. So here's uh here's an interesting thing, right? Um, and let's see. So we got a comment from probably Hilawi here saying, can Pasa elaborate how non-tech Dash community members could help with Dash development? Should people learn to code or can they contribute in some other way? And at the end of the comment, which is kind of cut off here, he says, where's Ryan? Which is a fun little in-joke, but <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that for the after party. Um, so do you know of any good ways to contribute? Obviously, the incubator, there are some ways of promoting the incubator. Actually, this is more of not a not necessarily a question for pasta, but maybe for me. Um, in the Dash Incubator, there's this new project. First off, there's incubator promotion stuff. Like I got paid to make the incubator video, the how-to video, again, start to finish concept, even though it's not coding, right? And so you can do the same thing. There's an incubator promotion thing where you can write a blog post or do videos or whatever to promote the incubator and its work that there you can get involved in there too. Um, there's also something very new which is there's a Dash publication, a Dash community publication on Medium that is being created that you can contribute to that publication. It's kind of like, you know, Dash Core Group has its own, you know, official blog via Medium and stuff, except this is from some, this is for the rest of the community. And so basically you can get paid to do that too. So that's all in the incubator. I would go to the incubator, basically, is the, the, short, um, the short thing. Now, as far as like that, what my vision for Dash Boost in the future would be, I do like the incubator much more than like the the voting chaos that is, you know, the regular treasury. Uh, what I would like to see happen, what I would actually expect to be happening relatively soon, like in the next several months, even though that if there's been any plans for this, I'm just seeing things going in a weird way where the incubator was meant to be Dash platform and build decentralized applications on Dash platform. And then little other things started kicking in, like, oh, other development things that are not necessarily related to platform itself. And then, oh, well, there's some other promo stuff. Eventually, there should be a fork of the incubator that's not for development or not for platform development, at least. That's for everything else. Like, oh, I'm going to run a meetup and do a thing, or I'm going to do whatever else. Basically, all the Dash Boost stuff, but through the incubator. So basically... Fork the incubator for more traditional Dash Boost purposes and call it Dash Boost. What do you think of that idea? I like it. I like that. I like that indeed. Yeah. And so um, the other thing is there's this project being created called Springboard, which is basically a souped up, super awesome platform based fork of flipstarter.cash. Bitcoin Cash has this thing called Flipstarter, which is a site or a you know, a little tool to basically allow you to crowdfund stuff and it pays out if all the donations are met by the prescribed time. And if they aren't met by then, it automatically refunds everyone's money. 
And so now there's a dash version of that called Springboard that's being made. And to basically you have like usernames and stuff too. And to not be, you know, not be as kind of hodgepodgey where there's an actual site that some guy finds all the springboard, all the flip starters out there on Bitcoin Cash and like manually inputs them all and he asks for donations to keep doing that. It would be a much more elegant system. So what I would love to see, obviously we have the Dash Treasury and the groups under it. I would love to see, obviously, Incubator keep working, but also Dash Boost as the more, the people's incubator, as it were. And then have Springboard there for like other one-off things or even something like, Hey, I've fallen on hard times. I lost my business because the shutdowns are this and that. Can anyone help? And you crowdfund a thing like that. Or, hey, I want to do something really cool and awesome, but it's not really Dash related, but it's something pretty cool and awesome that you could still raise money in Dash. It's not as Dash specific. So having all those things together, I think would be really great. Yeah, I like that. It's a good idea. Yeah. So, any parting thoughts before we wrap this thing up and hit the after party? Yeah, if you if you have um, in a desire to kind of be on that more developer side of the community, mm-hmm. definitely try and you know try your hand at you know coding up different things that you want to see happen. Right, mm-hmm. the best way to you know, to, to learn how to code is to have something that you just want to get done. That's how, um, that's how Kodak's made it happen. He had his Spark application and his developer ran away with all his money and he didn't know how to code. Yeah. But now he does. He, he knew what he needed to do. And so he learned what he needed to learn in order to do what he wanted to do. And so the same thing applies with anyone else. When I got started with Dash Core, I did not know C++. Hmm. I knew some Java. I was entry-level Java, but I knew zero C++. But guess what? I've been able to have really, really valuable contributions to Dash Core, mm-hmm. even though I started out without knowing hardly, with, without knowing any C++. Yes. So even if you think you know you don't know how to code at this point or anything like that, if you have an idea of something that you want to work on, you can figure it out, and there are people in this community that will help you and that want you to be successful in that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Well, um, I think that's good. Yeah, and also, of course, the best way to learn how to code is to lose your job as a journalist, but that's a that's a little bit of a different pun, maybe unfair. <laughs> anyway, uh, congratulations, everyone who's been watching, especially on the Odyssey live stream. We reached the conclusion of two podcasts in a row for the first time. I thought the chaos would be too crazy for back-to-back stuff, but hey, apparently it works. Um, just for that, I'm going to celebrate a little bit. I'm going to pimp this out again, CryptoGifts underscore EN on Twitter and Instagram makes these things. Here we go, my little dash class. And I'm. this is going to be on the after party. So the after party is... Just like this, except it's not live. It's not broadcast. And it's a bunch of people just hanging out, old school, be doing Zoom happy hours before Zoom happy hours were a thing. And yeah, we're going to be doing that. And if you want to know where to go, it's staydashy.com. Gets you to the Dash Talk Discord. Or if you're a friend or whatever who knows me and just wants to PM me on. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash thedesertlinks. And leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShopinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.